turn to Second Chronicles chapter seven and verses one and two. Second Chronicles chapter seven, verses one and two. I want to read these two passages of scripture. Now, when Solomon had made an end of praying, the fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the house. And the priests could not enter into the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house. I want to speak just for a few moments this morning on the temple of God. Amen. The temple of God. Lord, we thank you today and worship you. We felt your presence and spirit in this place today, and we honor you. We ask that you would strengthen every person, that you would keep your hand and bring healing and strength to everybody that is in this building, those who are not able to make it into this house and are viewing online. I pray that your presence is especially rich to them. We ask these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. My, we had a full house in here until everybody left. <laughs> there was a good group of young people, and they're gone, <laughs> and we are here. Sister Reese, I didn't see you earlier. I appreciate you. You're awesome. I really appreciate you and your husband. I'm, I don't know what it is this morning. I'm just giving out compliments. If you need a compliment after church, just come see me, okay? <laughs> and I'll make you feel good. <laughs> I'll make you feel good. It's one of those days. Hallelujah. <clears throat> the temple of God. What, what motivates you? What is something that inspires you? We know that from a psychological definition and standpoint, motivation is the process that initiates, guides, and maintains goal-oriented behaviors. Somebody is motivated to something. It is a process and it is what drives an individual to do what they do. It involves biological, emotional, social, and cognitive forces that activate behavior. So motivation is the thing that triggers all of these things, and it activates a decision, a motivation, an action that someone puts into play in everyday usage, the term motivation is frequently used to describe why a person does something. It's the driving force behind human actions. My motivation here today, if I really, really think about it, my motivation today is, is not just a habit. My motivation today to come to the house of God was to feel after him if happily he might be found, though he is not far from each and every one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. And because I woke up today with some being, I woke up with some breath, I woke up with some opportunity, I was motivated to come to the house of God. I was motivated to overcome a lot of obstacles and a lot of fear and a lot of difficulties. And I was motivated to step in to this place and lift up my voice and lift up my hands and say to God, God, I am thankful for everything that you have done in my life. And today is a new day and a new opportunity for me to express how thankful I am. And it came out in my worship today and that motivated me to be in the house of God today. It's the driving force behind human actions. 
What is something that motivates you? The story of David and Goliath is popular. It's popular and it has a it resonates even among non-religious people. Malcolm Gladwell wrote a book about the art of misfits and underdogs and it was based on the story of David and Goliath. And so it resonates with from very early ages of children that are learning in Sunday school many of our early experiences about the scripture come through the story of David and Goliath. But even non-religious people have a fascination with it. Uh, David's success didn't just stop with one battle. David went on to be a mighty warrior. He led numerous military campaigns. He endured much family turmoil. If you want to look at an individual that because of some of his decisions and consequences, David, he had a lot of family turmoil. There was difficulty in his life. But through it all, he walked with God. And I, I just want to say that today. I feel like saying that today. If you're facing a lot of turmoil in your life, don't give up on God. At the end of the day, people will look back and reflect upon your life and say, they may not have done everything right. They may have had difficulties and turmoil in their family, their home. There were ups and downs. But one thing you can testify and say about them is they were motivated by the house of God and they wanted to live for God and so because of that there is an example of their faithfulness to the house of God he had a lot of family turmoil one of his major motivations however was to build a house for God and because he was a man of war the scripture tells us that that duty was given to his son Solomon first chronicles chapter 22 and verse number 7 tells us as David is speaking to Solomon David said to Solomon my son as for me it was in my mind it was in my mind to build an house unto the name of the Lord my God I wanted to build a house I wanted to build a temple it was in my mind it was my motivation it was one of the things that drove me biologically emotionally socially there were cognitive forces that activated my behavior that said i want to establish a place in which is going to be a central place of worship for god but the word of the lord came to me saying thou hast shed blood abundantly and hast made great wars Thou shalt not build an house unto my name because thou hast shed much blood upon the earth in my sight. For whatever reason, there was a right moment in time for David to do what he did in military campaigns. But it, when it came to the spirituality of building a temple and a house for God, God did not want him to build that house because uh, he was a man of war. And so he would prefer that to be done by someone else. David humbly accepted that. That would have been a difficult task when this is something in your mind and you desire. But that was one of the things that was so powerful about David. He was a man after God's own heart. Was he perfect? Absolutely not. Did he fail? Yes, he failed. But we have, we have verses that are so powerful about what true repentance is. As David said, create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit. Spirit. Don't blot me out of your book. I, I, I want to be found in your presence. Even despite all of that turmoil, 
He still had a heart for the presence of God. And he prepared diligently. He spent years arranging for supplies and preparations. This was no meager building. This wasn't just something that takes place happenstance. This was something that's, that took a lot of time at an expensive cost. He was importing cedars from Lebanon down into Jerusalem. Fine stone he was importing from around the world. Pure gold was going to be overlaid in this temple. Many years of labor and an enormous cost, and the temple was finally built. Solomon took all of the materials. He took his father's motivation to build a house for God. And, and they made fine preparations. I, I, can't, I can't say enough about the fact that this was not just another building and not just another motivation. From the very beginning of Israel's history, when God appears in that temporary tent, not the tabernacle, a temporary tent set on the outside of the camp, and the children of Israel coming out of Egypt, and they're all gathered around, and Moses comes to the tent door, and there is a pillar that comes and sits at the tent door. Moses' face illuminates. This was something that had never been seen before. And so that so resonated in the Hebrews' minds and their understanding of the presence of God and the ability of God. You don't just build a building just for the sake of building a building without desiring and being motivated that somehow the building is also a place that houses the presence of God. Let me just say right here, I hope you understand that we have great buildings, but it's not the building that really, really matters. I, I enjoyed walking in here today and saying, God, you've blessed us greatly, but if your presence is not in this house, it is just a building. It's a building. It's an inanimate object. But if somehow you fill this place with your goodness and your presence, it will make the building significant. We need to thank God for his goodness right now. Why don't you thank him for his presence and his ability? Hallelujah. Praise God. It cannot be a building without God's presence. And God coming down in that cloudy pillar of a temporary tent to meet Moses was something that was a part, it was part of their DNA. If we're going to build something, it has to be a place in which God dwells. And 2 Chronicles chapter 5 and verse number 13, when this building is finished and they are making their way for its dedication, verse number 13 of 2 Chronicles chapter 5 said, It came to pass as the trumpeters and singers were as one to make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord. And when they lifted up their voice with the trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music and praised the Lord saying, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. That then the house was filled with a cloud, even the house of the Lord, so that the priests could not stand to minister by reason of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord had filled the house of God. They couldn't even get into the building. The presence of God was so strong. Solomon, he gives a dedication prayer. This happens at the beginning when there is music and singing and worship and the glory of God fills the house. Solomon at some point stands up and he starts making a declaration, uh, dedicatory remarks about the temple 
And we follow that in 2 Chronicles chapter 7 and verse number 1. When Solomon had made an end of praying, the fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offerings and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the house. And the priests could not enter into the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house, filled the temple. We know as we look through scripture that this description and this temple is not only referred to as a physical building, but our lives, our lives are the temple of God. Living a holy life is a result of our response to God's mercy. Is anybody here thankful for God's mercy? Praise God. We have already sung this morning. Where would you be? Where would you be if it had not been for God's mercy? It's almost cliche, but let's just go ahead and say it anyway. I don't know where I would be if it were not for God's mercy and his grace. I'd be lost somewhere. I wouldn't certainly wouldn't be in this place, but because of God's power and his anointing and his mercy upon my life, I'm still in the house of God. I'm in the presence of God. I'm feeling his anointing and his touch, and I'm thankful. I'm thankful to be here. There are a lot of things that could have come my way that would have taken me out. The enemy would love to take me out. The world would like to so absorb me that it, that it waters me down to the point of not even being used of God. Praise God. But it, this morning in the house of God, I was motivated to say, I've got a greater purpose than what the world has. Don't get distracted by the world. Don't get distracted by your own thoughts thoughts. That's not a safe place to be. Hallelujah. But get focused upon how good God is. Get focused upon his mercy that saved you. Hey, look back to where you once were and where you've come from. You want to go back to that? You want to live that lifestyle again? Or are you thankful that God pulled me out of the miry clay, gave me an opportunity? I refuse to go back to that. I refuse to do that again. Amen. Not going to do it. Not going to do it. I'm going to continue on. Praise God. Forge a trail. Blaze a trail for future generations to say, you know what? He loved God and lived for God with everything that was in his heart and life. There was no equivocation. He didn't, he didn't try to try to ride the fence but he knew and he was committed and he said it's the best thing that could be done with his life and he lived his life in his fullest capacity to give God everything this should be our motivation praise God what motivates you what motivates you what motivates you should be a desire to be a holy temple of the Lord. The reason I'm living a holy life is because of my response to God's mercy. It's not because of rules. It's not because somebody tells me to do something. That certainly helps. But what helps me is it's coming from an understanding that because God showed me mercy. Amen. Living a holy life is directly attached to that. We realize our bodies are intended to be the temple of God. First Corinthians chapter three and verse 16. Know you not that you are the temple of God and that the spirit of God dwelleth in you. The Holy Ghost dwells in me. That that power that came in, the priests could not even minister. They couldn't even get into the building because of the presence of God as it filled the temple is an 
illustration of God's anointing and his presence that fills us as the temple of God. His presence and his ability. It's not on the outside somewhere, but God dwells to inhabit and dwell within the temple of who, who you are. This is very, very significant. I want to make sure that my house is a house of his presence and his spirit. That my house is a presence of his anointing and his goodness. Fill the house in the temple of God. Amen. I want to make room for you. And I want to honor you with my life. That holiness is a believer's, in a believer's life, stems from a desire to honor God and to mirror his holiness. As we pursue a life and that life, it causes us to be separated from the world. And we move in the opposite direction. If, if God has called us out from the world, then we, we're moving away from the world and we're moving closer to God. Amen. In a church, even in this building today, some are moving closer to God and some are moving closer to the world. I want to challenge you today. You don't need to go to the world. The world, it's not going to treat you fairly. <laughs> They're going to, not going to treat you rightly, and it's not going to save your soul. It's going to be a highway to hell is what it's going to be. Praise God. Rather than going to the world, why don't you draw closer to God? Well, you don't understand my situation. I've got all these frustrations and all this stuff. Get closer to God. Going to the world's not going to solve your problems. It's only going to make your problems worse. But if you can get closer to to God there's there's greater things that can happen there is nothing like getting in the presence of God when you walk away you walk away with a different understanding when you walk away you walk away with a different vision God I want the Holy Ghost to be in the temple of this body and life God calls us to be holy first Peter chapter 1 and verse 13 wherefore gird up the loins of your mind be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, be ye holy for I am holy. God calls us to be holy because he is holy. If I'm, if I'm separating myself from the world and I'm trying to get closer to God, I'm getting closer to God's holiness, not the world's degradation. Does anybody know what I'm talking about here this morning? Maybe some of us have become a little jaded, but if you're a new disciple in Jesus Christ, you know exactly what I'm talking about. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. It's a new world because God has separated you and he separated you from the influence of some things and he's drawing you closer to him. And as he draws you closer to him, there are things that change in your life. Your mentality changes. Your emotions change. Your everyday walk changes. Your conversation changes. Your lifestyle changes. We should be about a church that preaches about good changes. 
Some people say, I don't want any change. Well, there's some changes that need to be made in your life if God's going to save you. You're going to have to change some things. You're going to have to change friends, change clothes, change music, change lifestyle, change a lot of things. Why? Because I'm walking away from the world and I'm getting closer to God. Praise God. Come on, clap our hands like we really mean it this morning. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Peter's quoting Leviticus chapter 19, verses 1 and 2. And it comes after describing a living hope. God has given to us a hope. The world is without hope. Hopeless. And the more you get of the world, the more hopeless it looks like. And so... Peter's saying, we've, we've got a better hope because Jesus provides to us salvation and eternal life and true life. And he said, we demonstrate our action of living in that hope. Man, I need to say this before I get into this. <clears throat> the human experience affects every single one of us and emotions are, are real. But the people of God should not be a people that look downcast and disappointed and somber because you've got a joy unspeakable and full of glory. Praise God. You've got a joy unspeakable and full of glory in you. And so Peter, he lays this out. He says, if you're living in that kind of hope, then your life is going to be demonstrated in these ways. You're going to prepare your mind for the effort that will be required to keep it focused on the things of God. Does that resonate with you? You got to, that's when he said, what does he say? Uh, something about the loins. Gird up the loins of your mind. That's, that's, that's King James terminology that... <laughs> may not quite resonate with us today, but gird up the loins of your mind is to prepare your mind for the effort that it's going to take, that it's going to require to be focused on the things of God. I've got to focus on the things of God. You know, the problem with some folks is they get out of focus. <laughs> How did you get from being drawn close to God all of a sudden to, to becoming jaded and apathetic is because you lose your focus. You lose your focus. And Peter said, if you're living a lively hope, a living hope, then it's going to be demonstrated in your life because you're going to prepare your mind for the effort that it's going to re be required to keep it focused on the things of God. Number two, exercise self-control. Exercise self-control. Peter said, keep your mind right and then, and then exercise some self-control. And then let all your hope be in the grace of God. And lastly, be obedient to the things of God you are learning now instead of living sinfully as when you were ignorant of God's plans and desires for you. Holiness 
talking about the temple of God. I'm talking about the presence and anointing of God that comes into the inauguration and the dedication of Solomon's temple. And going back before that, the temporary place of meeting, God's presence is there. But in fact, God wanted to put the Holy Ghost on the inside of us. Had a good conversation with an individual and we were talking about the Old Testament and the New Testament. Everything in the Old Testament is a type and shadow into the New Testament. Here's a great example of this. The power and presence of God in a place of meeting, tent of meeting, and in the temple is a type and shadow because God's ultimate plan and desire is that the Holy Ghost would be in you. This is one of the reasons why they picked up stones and they stoned Stephen. Stephen laid out the whole history of the Old Testament. And when he got to the point where he said, but God does not dwell in, temple made, in temples made with hands. Woo. They picked up some rocks and they started ganashing. I love that. It's actually gnashing, but I like to say ganashing. They started ganashing their teeth. They started grinding their teeth, picking up rocks to stone him. Why? Because he made a reference that the temple was not important. That's not what he was saying. He was saying the temple has a history. But God's ultimate plan was not to put his presence in a physical building. They lost sight of that. They thought because they had the temple, nothing could happen to them. And that was dangerous. Stephen said when the Holy Ghost was poured out and it came upon all flesh, that's what God's real intentions were. That everybody would be a temple of his anointing and his presence. Are you thankful for the Holy Ghost? It's a gift that is poured out to each and every one of us. It's God's anointing and God's presence in your life. You don't have to walk alone because God walks with you. You don't have to be alone in your house because God is in your house and he said I won't leave you nor will I forsake you holiness is to be set apart unto God it's to be set apart unto God and when you add consecration it means dedicated to God for a specific purpose this is our motivation to separate ourselves from sin as a lifestyle and pursue God's purpose in our lives when God separates us he removes us from influences that become distant there's some things that have to take place in our life because they're too much of an influence on us I can't I can't tell you how, how much it has put me in a position of prayer and thankfulness when I have heard from people coming to the house of God and God's doing great things in their life that they have quit their jobs you hear me I hope this strikes a chord in you and brings conviction to you this morning they have quit their jobs and the reason why they've quit their jobs is because they recognize God is separating them and they can't allow the same influence to influence them because they're trying to grow closer to God and get away from the influence of a world does that bring conviction to you? Or are we, we'll take any job, any place, 
and ignore the influence that can have upon us. I know we got to work and we have careers. I understand all of that, but, but we should at least pray about the fact that God, I'm expecting you to do something better because you have separated me to holiness and separation and you called me out of this and I can't live in this same environment. So I'm going to walk away from it and I'm expecting you to do greater things in my life. You're going to open a door and you're going to provide. Because I've never seen the righteous begging bread. Praise God. Being separated means that the influences become distant. We may have memories of doing things with people. I remember going to a, a minister's house in Minot, North Dakota. It's a great family. He was a psychologist in the military, worked at the Minot Air Force Base. His wife, they had, I don't know, five children, five, five, they were all girls, and <clears throat> respected him greatly. He was an influence in my life at that particular time. We went to visit his house, and he pulled out um, some of the albums. We were just sitting around talking. He pulled out some of the albums, and as he was flipping through the albums, his wife became very, very embarrassed because the albums included a lot of memories and circumstances and things in their life that were before Christ. And so, you know, the clothing wasn't right and the situations weren't right. She was embarrassed by that. And, and he just really calmed her down. He said, no, this is, this is okay, baby. He said, this is part of our life experience. This is the before and the after. You're going to have memories of connections with people and but I'm no longer part of that life because God has called us away from the crowds to him. And the closer you get to God, the less influence you are from the world. Praise God. This should constantly be a message of the church. What I'm preaching to you today is holiness. That's what I'm preaching to you today. Some people, there's a lot of things that are associated and attached to holiness that makes them fearful or it comes across as a negative thing. I'm preaching it to you today as a positive thing. I don't want the world to influence me. This is why I'm so thankful for musicians and singers that come and they spend hours every single week because they're trying to usher us into the presence of God. This is why I enjoy a well. This is why I enjoy prayer. This is I, I, I want to come to a place where I feel like I'm, I'm drawing closer to God, not closer to the world. And I'll fight that as long as there's breath in me. I don't want a church that's gr growing closer to the world, acting like the world, trying to entertain people, thinking somehow that's going to save them. That's not going to save them. That's only going to drag them into a feeling of why should I go to church? Because everybody else is like that. I'm doing what everybody else is doing. We should come to the house of God so that we could get closer to God. Hallelujah. So that we could become more sensitive to his spirit so that we could recognize, you know what? I'm not measuring up, but I want to make things right. should be a place of holiness we should be set apart from the world but let me just let me add a caveat there are we set apart unto God or are we separated from the world which is it it could be both but if we major on one and not the other we could get into a a form of legalism where we're, we're living based on rules this is not good this is not good because you can live based on rules and not be growing closer to God 
I've seen this in my own ministry. Somebody that, that, that lives the rules to exactness. They're so far from God that at some point there's an explosion and the debris, ladies and gentlemen, is still falling. It's still falling. You better get an understanding today that it's about being holy before. I got to make sure that I am holy in God's righteousness and that out of that thankfulness for his mercy and his holiness, that it causes me to be separated from a world. I don't want to start by separation from a world and then somehow thinking that that's going to produce holiness. It, it won't do it. It flows the other way. You got to get it in your heart. And when you get it in your heart, you'll start making some decisions in your life. If you start making decisions based on rules, it's not going to get into your spirit because you're only doing it at a form of legalism. Oh, but if God's spirit and his anointing and his holiness is motivating you, motivating you, bringing about action in your life, there are some things that you're just going to smile at and go right on by and say, I'll do whatever I need to do because I've got it right. It's in the right proper framework. I'm managing it right because the first thing that I want to be is right before God. Praise God. Second Corinthians chapter six and verse 16. Paul said, what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God, as God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them. See, right there it is. I mean, the scripture is so very, very powerful. He didn't say, first of all, come out from among them and be separate. He said, first of all, you're the temple of God and my spirit is in you and I dwell there and I walk there and I'm your God and you're my people. That's where it starts. That's the priority. And then he says, wherefore, come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. What does that mean? The unclean thing. It means that old lifestyle, that carnality, that world that you are caught up in. Make a movement toward me and not a movement toward that. And I will receive you and be a father unto you. And you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Having therefore these promises, as the musicians come this morning. Dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. Perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Those practices by which we become yoked together can become yokes of bondage. Praise God, they can become yokes of bondage. But we are to cleanse ourselves from the filthiness of the flesh and the spirit. Amen. Praise God. If the emphasis is upon rules, we set ourselves apart from the world, but it doesn't mean that we're pursuing God. Separation flows out of holiness. I want to be more Christ-like before I become more church-like. I think I need to say that again. I want to become more Christ-like before I become more church-like. Some people want, you need to be, well, that's what the church teaches and preaches. You need to, okay, well, it is, it is. Yeah, it is. But you better have some good conversations with people so that they can understand why they're even doing what they're doing. It has to make sense. Hey, back in your day, it might have been okay just to say, well, that's the way that it is. Well, right, you'll lose those people real quick because today people want to at least make sense out of what you're talking about. 
And sometimes some infidel will go so far and, 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 and make such a mess of things that, that you'll have to take that kind of stand. But when you're working with people and trying to help people, you, you better be willing to have good conversations and make sense about what the scripture is and ultimately say, our, the trajectory that we are on is we're, we're trying to be more like Jesus. Because churches have disappointed a lot of people. And as a matter of fact, so have preachers. Preacher better be Christ-like before he's church-like. <laughs> Preacher better have a hunger in his heart and his life to be holy before he starts lining everybody else out on what they should or shouldn't do. That's a disaster waiting to happen. There'll be no respect or consistency if the pastor lives one way and his kids live one way and his family lives one way, but he's expecting everybody else to do something different. I don't want that kind of world. I'm not going to live that kind of world. I want to be Christ-like. God, put something in my heart so that if I'm not doing what's right, drive me to an altar because I can't lead people if I myself, if I'm not willing to spend the time and the effort to say, God, I want my spirit to be right. Yeah, but this is a church, 75, 76, 78, 77, 78, 70 years old. It's a great church. Man, people know about this place all over the world. So what, I'm going to live and, and I'm going to posture as a person that's trying to protect the church without myself being Christ-like. I'm saying that as an example because I'm up here at this sacred desk here today, but each and every one of us, we should be very, very careful. We're not getting so attached to things that they're good, they're good. But ultimately, they have to be grounded in a hunger for holiness. Praise God. I want the right spirit. God didn't call you out to put you on a, as a trophy somewhere. Look, I've, I've separated them from the world. I've done great things in their life. And I've got a trophy case for them. No, God called us for a purpose. He called us to a life of holiness for a purpose of doing something. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Teach all nations. Some translations word this as make disciples. Go therefore and make disciples. What are we trying to do? We're trying to make disciples. Amen. Just as the priests had an operation. See again, here we go again. <laughs> All those types and shadows, right? That was an elaborate system, a ceremonial system in the Old Testament. From the priest had to be separated. They were separated for the work of the tabernacle and then later the temple. And they had all these things that they were supposed to do. They had all of these instruments that they were to use. They had spoons and basins and pitchers and meat hooks and cups and vessels and utensils, and they were used daily, daily. Some items were made with precious metals, but they were not displayed. They were used in the worship, in the temple worship. That's a type and shadow. God calls us to be priests, 
And he calls us to work in the kingdom of God, not to display us, but so that we can be utilized in the kingdom of God as we stand together this morning in this place. Praise God. James chapter 1 and verse 13, let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. When we're talking about the holiness of God, the parallel universe is we're talking about the universe of sin. God doesn't hate sin because he's fearful of it. He's already conquered death, hell, and the grave. <laughs> he's not fearful of sin because he's holy. He hates sin because of what it does to people. It kills and it destroys. Being holy before God is redirecting my life from the impact of sin. How many of you have been impacted by sin? You don't have to raise your hand, but I know that in this place... There's been circumstances of abuse, physical abuse, drug abuse, alcoholic abuse. The destruction and, and the pain and impact of sin. But what God does is he calls us to a life of holiness that brings security and strength. I want a passion. Amen. I want a passion. I want to be motivated to be holy before God. As they prepare to sing this morning, I wonder if we could lift our hands and our voices. Pray that prayer. God, let me be motivated. Not by, not by things in the world, not the distractions of the world. I want to be going away from the world, separated from the world. I want to be drawing close to you. <laughs>